One thing I struggle with is fighting for anything. I'm not a fighter. I always said I was a lover, not a fighter. Um, I always felt weak to fight. And so what's really cool is that someone fought for us. That's the reason we're here, is that he went to the cross uh, despite the fact that it would cause the most horrible pain anyone's ever faced, and he fought for us. And so now I have this opportunity to fight to follow him. I have this opportunity to fight for something that's bigger than me. I've always, I've used this hypothetical many times, but think of it like this. If you were standing beside the road and the dart bus came driving by and you didn't see it, it's about to hit you, and believe me, that's almost happened to me, Um, and someone that you didn't know jumped in front of you, pushed you out of the way, and was ran over by the dart bus, but they saved your life. You would do everything you could to fight to tell everyone, this person saved my life. You would be at that memorial service, and you would be fighting, telling people, this person saved my life. It has happened. Someone jumped in front of the bus. They pushed you out of the way, and now they've given you eternity. Can we fight for that? Is that something we can fight for? I'm not a fighter. So that's something I want to do. I want to fight to follow him. I want to fight to love him. I want to fight to tell others about him. I want to fight for him. So we're going to teach you guys a new song. Um, And I got the chills in practice, not to put any pressure on it. uh, But I think these words are very powerful. Go ahead and have a seat. I feel like we uh, go so fast through life every day. And then we come to church Sunday morning, we get in, and we, we are bouncing all around, talking to all these different people, and then we sit down, and music starts right away. And it's good, and we then have maybe an announcement or two, and then we listen to a message, and then we go home, and we push repeat, right? And I, I felt extremely um, just rushed, even this morning. Um, just extremely busy, um, and as school comes to a close, I'm sure that most people feel like this, and summer's coming, and the weather is um, schizophrenic, and uh, doesn't know what it wants to be, and kind of throws our emotions around, and so I want you just to be able to take a moment now, um, and, and think about what Tim just said, think about the words that we just uh, listened to and sang, um, that God fought for us. And he's still fighting for our hearts. And he wants us to fight for him. And he wants us to fight to get the word out. He wants us to take the gospel to the streets. But in order to do that, we've got to understand how much he loves us. We've got to understand what he thinks about us. We've got to understand who we really are in God. And that's really hard to do when we are on repeat. It's really hard to do unless we slow down. It's really hard to do unless we come to church and we get a chance just to just to be. I mean, this should be a room, a building, a place. It's not about the building, but when we come together as God's family, when we come together to worship him, it should be a place where we rest. But most of the time, I'm a part of the service, and I don't rest. I need to. You need to. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I just want you to know that you are in the presence of God, and that I want you to sit and just be and rest. I mean, you, most of us have no idea what that word means. 
but we need to rest. So let's pray. God, we are here before you in your presence, and your presence is rest. Even if your presence means conviction in our heart, even if your presence means pain sometimes, it all comes back to resting in who you are and who you have made us. So God, in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of life, um, excuse me, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, whether it's hurtful, whether it's joyful, in all of that, we tend to get on repeat and forget why we actually do church. We tend to start complaining about things. We tend to um, think that it's somehow about us when Jesus came and made it all about him. And so God, whatever's on our mind, whatever we like or dislike about being at church this morning, whatever we are joyful or sad about, God, we just lay it at your feet. We put all those things aside to rest in your presence, to be here, God, to to know your word, to love it, and, and to fight for it with our lives. God, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this video. If somebody were to walk up to you on the street and say, are you a Christian? Some of you would say, yes. Some of you would say, what do you mean, right? Some of you would say, yes, but. Some of you would say, no, but. Some of you would say, I am, but I'm not like that group. The problem with the word Christian is it can be anything you want it to be. There are Christians on both sides of every political issue. There are Christians on both sides of every legal issue. There are Christians on both sides of every financial issue. You can hide behind Christianity all day long. You can define it, redefine it, misdefine it, undefine it. You can do all kinds of stuff with Christian. The word Christian can mean anything you want it to mean because the word Christian is not defined in the New Testament. And that's the problem. Hey, that's a pretty good video, right? That would take me like a year about to make uh, that well. Uh, but I'm sort of proud of it because my brother-in-law actually used to work for Andy Stanley, the guy that's in that, and he created that video. And so um, uh, that, that was just pretty cool. But we showed that video last week. We showed it this week because we think it's important enough for you to know that on Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but starting a week and a half from now, we're going to start our Wednesday Waypoint. And uh, the word Waypoint is like the North Star is a waypoint. It's a point in, in, the, in the distant in the distance that leads you to a certain uh, place, and that's what we want uh, Wednesday nights to do. We want everyone to be involved for all ages, um, and what I love, I watched the, the, the first few uh, of that video um, of the series, and I was just blown away, and then after Kyle spoke last week, um, I asked him, dude, have you been watching these things? And he said, no, um, which just proves to me that the same spirit moves in the same people through the word of God uh, to bring the same thing to us. Because last week, Kyle talked all about what it meant to, uh, he talked about three things, the calling, the call, and the caller, okay? And when he described the people that Jesus called to follow him, what did he call them? Anybody know? He called them disciples. I don't think, Kyle said the word Christian at all last week. And that excited me because that's exactly what this video is about. The word Christian can mean anything you want it to mean in this day and age. But if you look at the word disciple in the Bible, it's very defined. It can only mean 
this is how I follow Jesus. And God wants my heart, and he wants me to be a disciple, not just a Christian. You're going to find out a lot of cool things about the term Christian and a lot of cool things about the term disciple. Kyle talked about the fact that the fishermen by, by trade were called to be fishers of men, but they needed to be discipled by Jesus. They needed to learn from Jesus to get good at that, that Jesus chose them. Usually, um, somebody, the, the people would choose their own rabbi. No, Jesus chose them, and they didn't become expert fishers of men. I feel like that so many times when I read the Bible, um, that I'm not equipped to do what God is asking me to do. But God, Jesus, just called them and said, hey, come, follow me, watch, learn from me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so today we're going to start to focus on what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And as we go throughout Mark, this Wednesday night series is going to fit perfectly with where we're going. So please, we don't just bring this to you as a, uh, as a desire for some of you who have Wednesday nights free. Um, to, no, this is an all-church event. The elders spent time thinking about planning this night. It's going to be awesome, uh, not because everyone's going to show up, which they will, but it's going to be awesome because we really believe that God wants to do something in your heart. And so today, the sermon title is going to be this, Soap versus Wine, okay? You're confused, and that's good, um, because now I get to paint this picture for you, what that means, all right? We're going to look through, go ahead, take your Bibles, there's pew Bibles, you can go on your phone, you can go on your iPad, we're going to be in the NIV this morning, so take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Um, I'm going to, the passage that I, that I am supposed to preach on this morning is Mark chapter 2, all of it, and uh, the first six verses of chapter 3. So that'll take me about an hour and a half uh, to do. Um, so j- I'm just kidding. It's not going to take that long. Uh, so sit tight. Um, I'm going to bounce around a lot, but I want to make a point. Soap versus wine. I'm going to journey with you through Mark chapter 2, 1 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, so if you first turn to, to chapter 2, verse 18, locate verse 18, we're going to start with that passage. And as I read it to you, I'm going to take you through it, and uh, I think it'll be good. Let me pray again. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that um, I would serve well. I pray that, um, God, your spirit would lead hearts to go where you want them to go this morning. Again, give us rest in your presence. So, verse 18 through 22, this is really going to define for us what I mean by soap uh, and wine. So let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast? While he is with them, they cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, 
the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. If you look in Matthew 6, there's a description of Jesus telling the people listening to him what it means to fast and how they should go about fasting. And he says, when you fast, just like when you pray, don't make it obvious to the people around you. Okay? Don't beat yourself up. Don't make yourself look dirty. Don't make yourself look extra hungry. He says, no, what I want you to do is I want you to shower, first of all, okay? And, and what they did back then is a lot of times they anointed themselves with oil. Um, it helped their hair look better. Um, that was a fashion statement back then, and they looked good when they did it, okay? He said, I want you to look clean on the outside. I want you to look clean because I don't want you to go out and flaunt your spirituality in front of everybody. He says the same thing to them in the same passage about prayer. When you pray, go into your closet, right? Anybody go into their closet? I mean, like, literally closet in their house this week and pray? I didn't, so I don't expect you to, uh, to have raised your hand. But maybe some of you did, because maybe some of you, your closet is this place where you can get close with the Lord. And what God is after is people's hearts. So what he means by that is take time by yourself. Don't be showy with your Christianity. Don't be showy with your spirituality. Don't let people know. And so in Matthew 6, he says, don't beat yourselves up. Look clean. Fasting was not about necessarily the act of fasting. Fasting was not necessarily about, I am doing something. Everybody look at me. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm fasting. I'm fasting. This is so horrible. That's not what it was about because God is after people's hearts, and he looks at your heart, and God says, okay, this person's fasting. Why? Because they long for me. They desire me. They want me. You see, as we define soap, Here's our definition of soap. Soap focuses on our outward appearance to make oneself look right or spiritual. Even in the situation in Matthew 6, what were they doing? They weren't cleaning themselves up in the traditional sense of soap, right? No, they were making themselves dirty so that their spiritual life to everyone else looked clean. So soap doesn't just mean that you take a shower every day, which I know my wife need, thinks I need to. Um, once a week's good. Um, I'm just kidding. Man. <laughs> anyway, I, I just got to do that. I, when I get nervous, I joke. Um, but when they made themselves look dirty, what were they doing? They were taking the soap, and they were taking a spiritual shower in an effort for what other people saw in their spirituality to look neat, to look clean, to look polished. And then they said, look at how I shine. Look at how clean I am. Look at my clothes. Look at my, and it was all on a spiritual level. We're going to focus on spiritual soap this morning. 
The old way, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, listen, people used to fast when I wasn't here because they looked forward to a Messiah coming. But now I'm here. I am the bridegroom. For all believers of Jesus Christ, I am the bridegroom. And someday there's going to be a party that I don't want to miss. It's going to be a feast. The supper of the Lamb, and I want to be there. And it's going to be awesome. But Jesus says, why would my disciples fast if I'm here with them? They're not longing for me as if they're waiting for me to come. No, I'm here right with them. But someday, I am going to, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to promise that I am going to come again. And when that happens, I'll be gone for a while, and my people will fast again. And guess what? Jesus is still in heaven right now, so fasting is a good thing for us to do. Because why? Because our hearts long for Jesus. Because our hearts will fight to be with Jesus. And that's why we fast. And Jesus said, fasting is about desire for God because God looks at my heart. Imagine this. Imagine if in my everyday life, I went about my life looking at every person I ran into the way that God does. Imagine how different my life would be. Because I could tell you this. I don't do that, especially when I'm on the road and uh, road rage kicks in. I ain't looking at them like Jesus looks at them. I, um, uh, I don't really care about my truck, so I could use it as a weapon, uh, but I don't. I mean, that's how mad I get on the road. It d- don't, d- y'all people like looking at me like, oh, you, you, you get road rage? You do too. Everybody does. Everybody gets it on some level. And no one actually walks through their every day never ever getting frustrated or mad at someone else. I don't do it. I got kids. It's impossible, right? It's impossible to walk through your day except with the Spirit of God. Imagine if we looked at other people the way that God looks at them and we look at a heart that is worth redeeming, right? So soap desires to clean up what other people see in our spiritual life, to look polished, to look good. But here's what Jesus says. I am new wine. You can't take new wine and stick it into old wineskins because what's going to happen? The wineskins are going to break. Jesus is saying, listen to me. And this, this hit my heart, and it should hit yours too, because in, in some way, in every single day of my life, I try to take God, I try to take what I know and what I think should be of Jesus, and I try to shape him and twist him and stuff him into my box, the box that I have created for him to fit in. But Jesus say, is saying, every single time you do that, I will break it. I will break it. It will not work. Don't try to fit me into the way you think I should be. Matthew 5.17 says this. Do not think that I have come. This is Jesus talking. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then in Mark 9, it's the story of the transfiguration. And Jesus takes his disciples up on a mountain. Okay? And 
Jesus is there. He's transfigured, bright white, with his disciples. And Moses and Elijah show up with them. And the disciples don't know what to do. They're like, hey, we're going to make three shelters so y'all can stay here. We'll make you some food. It'll be awesome. It'll be a good time. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they think that, the other two are gone. And Jesus is standing there by themselves. And what does God the Father say? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. You see, it becomes all about Jesus. And that when Jesus came to earth, he said, listen, and and Paul says it in the New Testament, the law is good, but why is the law good? Because it shows me my sin. It reveals to me that I am in need of a Savior. Why? Because it is impossible for me to fulfill this law and accomplish it on my own. That's just impossible, and so it shows me my need for a Savior. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled the entire law. He became what we could not become so that now we can live with new wine and not old wine. We can live with new wine and not soap. We don't have to. The goal is to grow in Christ's likeness, to grow to be more like Christ. The only way to do that is to stop trying to clean yourself up without Jesus. Because it's impossible. And there's so many people in here that have been saved for years. I mean, I've been saved for 20 years, 25 years. And I've really been following Jesus since I was 17. But hey, that still defines my life sometimes. I got clean myself up. I got to look good. I got to look good. But what? That may be the goal, but I try to do it without acknowledging Jesus' role in it. So soap is looking spiritually right, and wine is following Jesus and his word no matter what the cost, and not trying to fit God into our old ways. So now that we've defined soap and we've defined what new wine, what wine means, I want to say this. I know that as I go through this message and already, y'all have thought of someone else in your mind that fits the bill of someone who uses soap all the time, of a Pharisee, someone who just does stuff to look good. You've done that, and you're going to do it for the rest of the message, but I'm begging you not to, because it's not about your view of other people. It's about what God wants to do in your own heart. So as we go through this, dig down into where God wants to change you in your own heart. Forget about gossiping to yourself about other people as we go through this. Forget about telling yourself, Oh man, this person next to me, that person over there, I know somebody that needs help. I know somebody that could use this message. No, you need it. I need it. So go to that place right now. Let's jump back to the beginning of chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. This is the story of where Jesus heals a paralytic. I'm going to read it. A few days later, when Jesus again Enter Capernaum. The people heard that he had come. 
So many gathered, and there was no room, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat and the paralyzed, that the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you to take up your mat and go home. He got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them. Uh, This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Here's the deal. Jesus does something, and the Pharisees say, Dude, you can't do that. You can't do that. Who are you to forgive this man's sin? Oftentimes, soap comes in the, in the form of us telling God what he can and cannot do. I mean, I've done that so many times. God, you're a loving God. You wouldn't do that. That does not fit into your uh, personality. God, you can't let this person die. You can't. You can't let this person die early. God, why do bad things happen to such good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And in a negative sense, we say, oh, that's not in the character of God. God can't do that. He wouldn't do that. God, you can't do that. It's not loving. God, you have to do this because you love me. Now, here's the deal. The Pharisees did not believe that Jesus, it's now reached the awkward point for Brandon, so just, just bear with us there, buddy, okay? <laughs> they didn't believe that Jesus was God, but in essence, every time that I say to God, God, you can't do that, or God, you have to do this, even though we know from the book of Psalms it's okay to complain to, to God. It's not in the sense of complaining because that's contagious and it's bad and you shouldn't do it because he hates complaining. But in the sense that I can question God, I can cry out to God, I can ask God, why is this happening? Tell God I don't understand why these things are happening in my life. But in the end, what's my choice? I have a choice. Do I trust God even if I don't understand it, or do I do it on my own? Do I solve this problem on my own? And so every time I choose to not trust God, I'm telling him, God, I know better than you how to run my own life. And we do essentially the same thing that the Pharisees are doing. We say this, hey God, I got my bar of soap here. And you looking a little messy. Well, let me clean you up. Let me wipe that part. There's a little dirt right there, God. I'm going I'm to take that. I'm going to 
wipe it up. I'm going to make it look good. I'm going to clean this up. You got a little dirt on your face, God. Your knees are scraped up. Let me clean that up for you. And we take our soap and we tell God that he needs cleaning up, right? We tell him that I know how to run my life better than you, so let me make you look good, God. Let me clean you up a little bit. We forget that in Scripture, God says, he's already said, listen, my ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, which means most of the time, you're not going to understand what I'm doing in your life. But here's the deal. I'm doing something, and I know better than you. So please trust me. Please trust me. Jesus says to them, he says, why are you thinking this way? Which is easier? Picture this. There's a crippled man laying right here. It's not really. If they had dropped him, he might be. But they say to him, Jesus says to the guy, your sins are forgiven. Nothing happened, right? That's easy for me to say. It's not easy for me to say. I'm not God. I can't really do that. But Jesus says that. He says your sins are forgiven. It requires absolutely zero physical proof, right? No physical proof needed, okay? So he could just say whatever he wants to say. But he goes next to say, just to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority, and you could do this in your life. The Son of Man has authority to dot, dot, dot. Whatever it may be in your life, Jesus has the authority to do it, okay? So trust him. But he says, to prove to you that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to do the harder of the two. Because as he says to him, what I'm about to say, it requires physical proof. If I say to him what I'm about to say, and he doesn't get up and walk, I'm in trouble. Because it just got proved to everyone that I'm a fraud, right? But Jesus, knowing that he is the Son of God, he already said, son, your sins are forgiven. So then he says, son, get up, take your mat, and walk. And then he does it. That is incredible. He does it. Thanks, Brandon. Everybody give him a round of applause because he laid there so well. What was their reaction when Jesus did that? What was their reaction? It said, they had never seen anything like this before. They had never seen anything like this before. Here's the deal. When we put our bar of soap down and let God be God in our lives, no matter what he asks us to do, no matter what he wants to chisel away in your life, whether it's painful or not, whatever God wants to do, when we let God be God in our lives, outside of the box we have created for him, people will be amazed at who he is. You want to fight? You want to fight for God? Let him be God in your life. So, wine went. Sorry, say this ten times now. Wine wins round one. Wine wins round one, right? But I don't want you to go home thinking that I told you that it's better to, to drink wine than take a shower, because uh, it's not what this is about, okay? If you jump to verse 23 through 36, 
I'm not going to read this for you because we're running out of time. But essentially, Jesus does something else. It's on the Sabbath. They're, his disciples go, and they start picking up grain uh, from a field because they're hungry. And the Pharisees say, wait, you can't do that. You can't do that. God, that's not right. That's not spiritual. That's not the same shape as my box. You can't do that. And, and, and Jesus says, well, listen, you guys think David's so awesome. This is what he did. When he was hungry, he and, and, and his guys, they went in and they took the bread that only really the priests are supposed to eat. They took it and they ate it because they were hungry, right? And he says, hey, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so two things in your life. The Son of Man has authority to dot, dot, dot. Put it in your, in your context. The Son of Man is Lord of dot, dot, dot. Everything. So why do I question him? Why do I question him? Go to verse 13. This is going to be the last little story that we read. But go to verse 13. I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to fit yourself as a character in this part of the story. Like, who do you most identify with? Maybe it's Jesus righteously getting upset, or maybe it's one of the Pharisees. Maybe it's one of the people sitting around the table. But here we go. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. When Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Get that. Many who followed him. Who were those people? that followed him. Tax collectors and sinners. These are the people that, and we know these, these people are messed up, but we, these are the people that I'm going to hang out with. Those are the people that Jesus had following him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing these, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus has always been, and God from the beginning of time has always been and always will be about your heart. It doesn't matter what you look like. And I'll, honestly, I, I thought about coming to church this morning, and um, I just, like, I just, I was upset about this, but I just threw away all my, like, ratty, beat-up, nasty jeans. Um, but I was going to come and, and just cut holes all in them um, just before the inappropriate point, uh, just to make a point. 
Um, but I was going to do that and put mud all over my face and everything and um, decided against it. But maybe you could picture me like that. Um, I, I used to have holes uh, in my jeans, but I bought them that way. It's kind of stupid. Um, but I did it. Actually, my wife did it for me because um, she liked how I looked in them. Okay, t- TMI. Get on with this. All right. <laughs> So Jesus, in this setting, is sitting at a table eating with these people. And from the outside, on a spiritual level, the Pharisees, the one who have soaked up and they, they, they look awesome spiritually, they follow the law, right? They look at this setting and they're appalled by it. Like, Jesus, you can't spend time with those people. And I know... Okay, I know that the majority of people in this room, I guess I can't say I know, I can guess, that the majority of the people in this room have been believers for a long time, you always get this in your stomach when you're hanging out with someone who is not saved. Or maybe you're hanging out at someone's house and they actually offer you beer or wine, and in that moment, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do, but it's not necessarily because you don't like beer or wine, it's because you are terrified of what anybody else in this room is going to say if they find out, because why? Christians aren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to hang out with those kinds of people, right? Listen to this list. You're not supposed to hang out with the abuser, with the glutton, with the complainer, with the gossip, with the drunk, with the porn addict, with the thief with the murderer. You can't hang out with the drug addicts. God forbid you hang out with a prostitute. You can't hang out with homosexuals. You just can't do that. And yet, what were we all at one time? Look around the room. In my mind, I've been most of those things. But Jesus can't hang out with me. Jesus can't hang out with you. It just can't happen. And what's worse is people who follow Jesus, you better not hang out with these kinds of people. Just don't do it. What is that? That is a lie from Satan. He sees the label. See all these labels? I just had dinner with all these people, right? Satan starts telling me in my mind, should have done that. You should not have done that because you're supposed to look clean. I feel it all the time. Dude, this is the lie he feeds me. Dude, you're a pastor. You better not be hanging out with those kinds of people. You're supposed to look clean. That makes you look dirty. 
And then what's Jesus' response to them? Just hold up those signs a little bit longer. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to sinners. Jesus is not saying in that moment, don't hang out with other believers in Jesus. Because what have the Pharisees done in that moment? They've taken all of the law-breaking labels that were on them that people saw. They've taken them all, and all they've done is traded them in for new identities. Because what have they become? they become a liar, because that's just not true. They have become self-righteous, self-proclaimed healthy people. And so from their standards, Jesus is actually saying, the truth is, I will not hang out with you. Not that I don't love you, but if you're self-proclaimed righteous, I oppose the proud. And so all they have done is they've taken their soap and they've scrubbed really hard on the label that they have gotten rid of it to trade it in for a new one. But what happens with the people that Jesus wants to spend his time with is the people who are sinners, who are sick, and they are willing to acknowledge their need for a Savior. What happens in that moment? They don't trade in their old labels for new ones. They trade in their old labels for a new identity in the cross. And now look at all these people. You don't see the drunk. You don't see the porn addict. You don't see the drug addict. You don't see the gossip. You don't see all those people. What do you see? What do you see? You see the cross because their identity has been completely changed. And that's exactly what God wants to do. That's exactly what he has done in your life. Y'all can go ahead and sit down. You guys just stay comfortable for a second right there. That's exactly what he has done in your life if you're a believer in Jesus for salvation. You've admitted that you are sick. You've admitted that I want the new wine. I'm not interested in this soap that I have to keep on applying. I have to keep on showering to stay clean. That's a lot of work. I don't like doing it. I already don't like taking showers, but I know it's a necessity in real life. But in spirituality... You don't need to take your showers anymore because you're able to lay down your soap to not make yourself look spiritually clean because all you're going to have to do is keep on scrubbing. Just keep on scrubbing and then scrub some more until your soap's gone and then you have nothing left. But Jesus spent time at the table with sinners. What does that mean for us? It means that he has spent time at your table and he has saved your soul. And if you're here this morning and you're tired of using the soap, 
just stop using it because you're just going to use it forever. But acknowledge to God that you're tired. Acknowledge to God that you are a sinner, that you do have all of these problems. If not all of them, some of them. We're doing a CR training group at our house, and, and, and I feel like, um, and I heard Rick Warren say this one time, and I feel like it fits with me, but hi, I'm Nick Reed, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with pretty much everything, right? I mean, that's how I feel some of the time, I feel a lot of time, but Jesus came to earth, his body was broken, his blood was spilt, not only so that I can now be identified with the cross and not my sin. But what does he want me to do with it? He wants me, see this building? It, it, it sh- the, the church itself is the people. It's saved people made righteous by Jesus Christ. But this building, I've said it before, this building should be full of both. Saved and still lost, still sinners. And you know what else should be full of both? Your home. Why? Because they'll see what happens when we stop using soap and we allow God to be God in our life. These people are amazed at who He is. That's what happens when we stop using soap and we believe that God is new wine. You guys can have a seat. So we're going to take time now, and and different than normal, band, you guys can come back up, different than normal, I want you just to sit for a while, at least for the first song, and then we can all stand up and worship together, but I want you to sit, and the the juice and the cup are going to come around, they're going to be passed to you, because the only way to actually move into the life that God wants you to live is to first rest. First rest. And then when you leave here, you're getting up, you're going outside these doors, and you're loving the people that are sick, right? You're loving the people that you once were. And so, as we worship together, I'm going to pray here, and then I want you to just take the bread and the juice, Christ's body, symbol of Christ's body broken for you, symbol of his blood spilled for you, and just rest in his presence. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus' blood never fails us. We thank you that there is no sin. There is nothing that we could do. There is no soap that we could use that is more powerful than the cross of Christ. The only way that we can be healed is through Jesus' blood on the cross. New wine. New wine. Wine wins every time. Help us to put down our soap and to trust and to follow and to become real disciples of Jesus Christ. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. up I lift up every heart in this place to you Lord the hurting um, the joyful God I, I pray 
that we would look and see what you have done for us and we would look and taste and see that you are good. God, and I pray that the way that translates into our life this week is that we would go share the love of Christ with the sick, with sinners, God. People who there's no way we should, as followers of Christ, spend our time with them. But that's exactly what you told us to do, God. And so I pray, God, that as a result of what you have done in our lives, God, as a result of this church, God, you would bring people who are far from you, that you would lead people everywhere, not only in this room, but people who don't know you yet. Through us, you would lead them to know how much you love them and to know the price you paid on the cross for their heart, for their soul, for their eternity. So God, give us courage and give us truth in our lives to know that we can spend time with these people, that we need to spend time with these people, and we need to love, 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 because we all once were. So God, we need you, and we love you, and we dedicate ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.